today I really let myself down. I think I let my family down, including my puppy. <laughs> and uh, I was just, I was a complete, you know, jerky pants for about uh, about an hour. And the trigger was not being able to get something done that was in my calendar. And I, I, I got pressed for time. And I just turned into a worse version of myself, which stinks because I try to do a lot of internal work to be a better human being. And uh, I still failed. The biggest reason I failed is that I was putting more weight and more focus on what needed to get done versus the type of human being and leader I want to be. And when I lost that focus, uh, the wheels came off the bus, so to speak. And we're going to talk about that today. I'm joined by the co-founder of Character Strong, Houston Craft. And I didn't know he'd talk about it, but it was interesting to, to differentiate between a to-do list and a to-be list. We talk about kindness, uh, about an incredible nurse named Wonderful, and an uh, awesome opportunity for you um, to join a leadership conference uh, Character Strong's putting on at the end of the summer. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. A show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Deliver on your school's vision with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership, an online professional development program that bridges the fields of education and business. Courses include Leading Change, Leading Schools, and Leading People. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Well, hey there, Ruckus Maker. I'm joined today by Houston Kraft, an author and co-founder of Character Strong, an organization that delivers curriculum and trainings to help teach social and emotional skills in over 3,000 schools globally. In 2020, his first book, Deep Kindness, was published. His mom is his hero, and her best life lesson is hug like you mean it. Houston, welcome to the show. It's always good to be introduced by my mom in some ways. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> that sets you the know, stage nicely. Reading that, I have to think about how my mom might introduce me, but I, I really appreciate that hug like you mean it, which is a really wonderful thing. So speaking of wonderful things, you know, you shared a story in our pre-chat about this um woman on an airplane and, and uh, she experienced some tragedy. And uh, the epiphany for you, I think, was this gap between what's worthwhile and what we really do. So that's setting the stage. And, and yeah, what's the story there about this woman in the airplane? Yeah, I've always 
believed in kindness, but I, I think this story uh, solidified my desire to figure out how to how to integrate kindness into everything that I do, my career, my life. And it was it was a decade now for me. A decade ago, I was on an airplane, and uh, I remember pretty vividly wanting to take a nap. And I remember uh, just as vividly the woman next to me preventing me from doing so. <laughs> she had a seat next to the window. I was in the middle seat, which I affectionately call the hot dog seat, because people's buns are on either side of me. And uh, I remember Helga was her name, making sure that I took my headphones out so we could have a conversation. A little bit against my will, but she wanted to chat. And you know, she asked the usual questions. At some point, she asked me what I did for work. I told her I worked in schools. She got super excited because uh, she was a teacher at some point in her career as well. And uh, she asked me what my favorite favorite thing about high school was. And I said, my senior year. She said, why is that? And this is true. My senior year of high school, some friends and I got together and we started a club about kindness called Random Acts of Kindness, etc. Once a week, we got together and there was only two rules. Rule number one was you had to meet someone new. Rule two is you had to leave them better than you found them. I'm telling Helga this whole story. I look over and she's weeping. She's crying in the middle of the airplane. And she looks at me right in the eyes. She goes, you know, Houston, that is so important. I said, yeah, no, it was great. It was fun part of high school. She goes, no, you don't understand how important it is to me. Kindness. I remember thinking to myself, well, you're probably going to tell me because we're trapped on this airplane. (laughs) And sure enough, she dives into the story of, of the last time she had been on an airplane was three years before her and I had ever met. And the only reason she was on an airplane was because early in the morning, she'd awoken to a phone call from her dad's doctor telling her to get from Seattle to Arizona as soon as she could because their dad was headed to the hospital and they weren't exactly sure what was going on. So she flies to the airport. She buys a plane ticket for five hours later that day. She's stressed out in the airport all day. And finally, she sits down on this airplane getting ready to take off, about to turn her phone off when she gets the second phone call from her dad's doctor explaining that her dad had passed away. And she looks at me on the plane that we're now sitting on and she goes, Houston, I'm on my way to go and see him when I learned that I lost him. And now I'm trapped on this airplane with strangers for three hours. In her memory, she goes, I I don't think I said a word that whole plane ride. She goes, I think I was in shock until we landed in, in the airport. I got off the plane. I walked up to the nearest wall. She goes, I just fell down crumbled in the middle of that airport. And I put my head in my hands and I cried. And I remember Helga having a good sense of humor. One of the things she said, she goes, Houston, you should know about me. I'm not a pretty crier, right? I'm loud. It's noticeable. It's aggressive. And then she looks at me and she goes, you want to know why what you're talking about is so important? Kindness. Houston, I sat in the airport that day for two hours on what had to be the worst day of my life. And if I had to guess over those two hours, there's probably 3,000 people in that airport around me, right? Going to my plane or getting off the planes. She's used to two hours, 3,000 people, and not one. Not a single person stopped. And she looks at me, she goes, you have no idea how much you could use neck to kindness that day. And I think what frustrates me about the story is you think about, you think about the collective cultural value of kindness. I, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who disagrees that kindness is worthwhile or important. My guess is if you were to ask any of the 3,000 people in the airport that day, do you believe in kindness? My guess is all 3,000 of them would say some version of yes. And yet... All 3,000 of them walked by a pretty meaningful opportunity to practice it. I use the, the story often in just my own self-reflection. I feel like every time I share the story, if it's self-confrontational. You know, it, it forces me to ask myself the question, would I stop? And I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm improving. Eight times out of 10, the answer is no. And I give myself all kinds of what feel like valid excuses. 
I don't have time. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. What are they going to think? What is she going to think? What are the people around me going to think? Am I going to fail her? Do I know what to say? I have other things to do, right? All of those things that could run through our heads to justify that gap. But I'm, you know, a decade later now, I continue to think about that gap between what we say is important and what we do for each other. And uh, Harvard, as they, they do with lots of things, they named the gap. They, they studied that gap and what they, what they ended up calling it is the rhetoric reality gap. And it was born out of a study where they asked families to rank for their kids what they most want for their children. There's three items, to be happy, kind, or high performing. What do you want most for your kids? One, two, three. And 80 something percent said they'd rather their kids be happy or kind over high performing. Seems like an encouraging data point until you ask the kids of those same parents, hey, what do you think your parents want you to be? High-performing, happy, or kind? And the data was the exact opposite. In the summary of the paper, the kids said that the adults in their life, they believe would rather they get good grades than be good people. Harvard says that's the rhetoric reality gap, the gap between what we say is worthwhile and what we collectively make worthwhile with our actions, with our time, with our priorities. So yeah, a decade later, I'm like, how do we close that gap? And I really fundamentally believe that education's the key. Absolutely. You know, and it makes me reflect, uh, yeah, parents and uh, the school system at large, like what are those messages they communicate? Even more important than the messages, probably, what are those actions that support, you know, is it high performance or is it happiness or kindness? And just what are your priorities all about? I don't think it was in Thinking Fast and Slow by uh, Daniel Kahneman. But I remember reading somewhere basically about guys who are studying to join the clergy, right? And uh, they're, they're, they're off to some sort of class, talk about morals, something like the Good Samaritan story, you know, and basically somebody's down on their luck, help them out. And what the researchers did uh, studying these people wanting to join the clergy, they turned up the dial in terms of pressure, like, hey, you got to make it to this appointment, you know, we're, we're late, we're, we're waiting on you and this kind of stuff. And when the pressure was uh, more exerted, right, they just completely walked by these strangers that they had staged that were crying out for help, right? And here were people that were training to be like moral authorities to, to let love guide all their work. And uh, they, they just missed the opportunity, you know? So I really appreciate the story that you shared too, is we have so many opportunities in front of us I'm curious, I guess the follow-up question is, uh, do you have any um, ideas for us, right, for the ruckus maker listening? And how can we hit pause when we notice that we're not, you know, that best version of ourselves or that this is an opportunity to inject some kindness and we just don't run away from Helga or from, you know, the person crying out for help in the street? Yeah, yeah, that study drives me (laughs) crazy, right? The Princeton Mm -hmm. Theological Seminary School where it's, it's really time. That's the biggest indicator as to whether or not someone's going to stop is how much of in a rush they felt like they're in. Mm-hmm. And how often, not only in education, but right, our you know, culture, how often do we feel like we're in a hurry to get from building A to building B? Mm-hmm. So you know, every piece of business wisdom would tell you systems over goals, systems over goals. How do you cultivate the right systems to actually protect the pursuit of your goals? Because every goal requires some level of time. and Time is the, you know, the ethereal, most important, most frustrating ingredient in our work is that there's never enough of it. So step one in terms of like practical strategies, 
this one, I suppose, leans more philosophical, but I'm a big believer in words because words play such a huge understated role in the way that we experience our life. Time or the phrase, I don't have time, is uh, huge in education. And I read an article in the Wall Street Journal called, Are You As Busy As You Think? Which pushed into that philosophy and said, what if you were never again allowed to say, I don't have time? What if you had to say, this is not my priority? So I don't have time to integrate kindness into my practice. I don't have time to integrate social emotional learning into our curricula. Whatever that statement is, what if you just reframed it? It's not my priority to practice kindness in my life. It's not my priority to integrate social emotional learning into our school. Now, that statement could still be true, but it does change the nature of the statement because what we give our time to is what we value. So getting clear about that for ourselves is like a first important step. Then the second step is that if we do want to make those things any level of a priority in our life, then it doesn't become even about making time. It becomes about protecting time. So what does that look like in practice or in function? Well, uh, organizationally for us, that looks like every single day, we write out our work goals in a shared group channel. That can look like a lot of different things depending on the school or the district office you're in. But every day we have a channel where we share, hey, here's what's on our to-do list. One of the things that we talk about a lot is our to-be list. We all have things that we have to get done. And what I've experienced in my life is when I'm only focused on the things that have to get done, I never get to the abstract things of who I want to be. It's the same truth with the Princeton Theological Seminary School study, right? We have to get to this thing, this appointment. And along the way, right, I'm about to go tell a story about stopping to help strangers in need. And then I'm in the rush and the pursuit to do that. I don't stop and help this stranger in need, (laughs) right? Point A and point B on our to-do list. I feel like sometimes we can miss the whole point. And so I I like the practice we've adopted at Character Strong of of daily to-do lists plus a one-item to-be list. Don't overwhelm the system, but do make it a part of the system. Organizationally, I can see everyone in the group says, hey, this is what I'm going to get done today. These are meetings I have. These are appointments. This is what I have to complete. But at the top of that list, everyone in our organization has a one-item to-be list that they focus on for a quarter. So maybe it's present. Maybe it's kind. Maybe it's grateful. Maybe it's encouraging. Maybe it's enthusiastic. These words that we all want more of in our life, but as my friend Dexter Davis says, we're not human beings. We're human becomings. And one of my favorite quotes from Will Durant is, we are what we, we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And I just scratch out excellence and you can plug in any value word there that you like. Gratitude then is not an act, but a habit. Patience then is not an act, but a habit. Presence is not an act, but a habit. So how do we repeatedly do the things that we want to become? Well, we integrate it into our systems. And so every day we can see into our organization and then we create accountability internally, right? We have accountability partners. Mine right now is a guy named Austin. I know his goal. He knows my goal. We have systems to check in publicly and privately to make sure that we're going after this thing. And here's the key, right? Is like, do we do it with the same level of fervor, intensity, discipline, care? Do we hold ourselves to the same level of accountability with those traditional metrics of success as these more abstract values? Because if we don't, We're just falling into the productivity trap, which is that it's always just about getting all these things done and never along the way about how we do it. You know, the part that's so impactful about zooming out and seeing who you want to be versus what you want to accomplish and do, uh, that's 
think that's what people remember most, right? Like, of course, if you build some organization, it has some type of impact in the world. They'll, they'll say that. They'll say that at your funeral. But everyone's going to remember and share stories about how you treated them, right? And the relationships that you built or, or eroded, I guess, through your actions, your favorite memories, that kind of stuff. So I, I love that to-do list versus to-be list. My word, you know, something I want to practice in 2021 is generosity. So that's what I'm focused on. Uh, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing, and it's okay if you don't, but, you know, in terms of your being for the quarter, what, what is that for you? Yeah, mine is belonging. I want to make people feel like they belong. Um, our organization continues to grow. That means there's new people involved. Uh, and so inviting people in, trying to be more intentional about checking in, um, so I have a few goals related to that sense of belonging. Uh, that's organizationally. And then personally, mine is uh, balance. So just creating more time for dance is my practice for self-care. I've never been much of an exerciser, but wanting to do more of that in 2021 because we're taking on some really big projects that, as anyone in education knows, can be all-consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't have everything be all-consuming all the time. Uh, or else you have no outlets for something different. Right. You have a great story about a nurse too, uh, in, in your mom and um, surviving some, you know, a cancer battle. But tell us about that nurse because she really stood out to you for some specific reasons. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a great sort of parallel to the, the conversation we were just having. My my mom, in, in almost exactly five years ago, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And, um, I just got to chat with her yesterday. Um, and so she's currently uh, four years cancer free, but the year that she was, uh, in the middle of going through treatment, as you know, it's just un- unbearably hard to watch someone you love like that suffer. And she went through 11 rounds of chemotherapy, she had a colon resection. And, uh, in June of 2016, she had 70% of her liver removed at um, Mass General Hospital in Boston. And I remember uh, getting to be with her for the whole week that she was in the hospital recovering. And being there, you get to meet a lot of people who are in in service of my mom, who are there as caregivers, caretakers. And it's it's interesting to me as as I think back on this otherwise really scary time that I only remember one person by name, besides my mom's surgeon, who I met once or twice, there was lots of people that came in out of my mom's room. And I only remember one of them. Her name's Wonderful. That's how she introduced herself. She said it's not her given name, but it's the name she chooses to go by. Okay. And uh, I said, why is that? She said, you know, so many people told me I was wonderful. I just decided to call myself it. I was like, that is a power move. I love that. <laughs> also a good self-reflection question, right? What would I go by based on what other people called me? Hopefully wonderful or something like it. But wonderful true to form was really wonderful at her job. and. I remember very distinctly my mom and wonderful one day walking down the halls of Mass General. And even after a huge surgery like that, they want you moving as quickly as possible, even though it's painful. And my mom and wonderful are walking down the halls and, and they start singing the sound of music. I think wonderful. I don't know how my how wonderful knew my mom was in the high school production of the sound of music, but (laughs) somehow she started singing this and, uh, and you could tell pretty quickly wonderful did not know the words to this song. This doe, a deer, a female, and they're singing this song and <laughs> wonderful, doesn't even know the lyrics, but she is singing with gusto. 
My mom's smiling and laughing and family's all around. And my mom takes twice as many steps that day as she had on any other day. And as I think back to that time, it's so fascinating to me because I think about all the different nurses that came in and out. And all these nurses were really competent. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. They all had the same things on their to-do list, right? Manage mm-hmm. IV lines, administer medication, report back to the doctor. And yet the distinction was that wonderful, you could tell, prioritized her to-be list just as much as the to-do list. You could tell she wanted to be joyful. She wanted to be wonderful. And we say some of those things so often in the abstract, but they, they mean really practical things. There's just as much competence involved in the to-be list as there is the to-do list. And so I, when, I, when I think about doing my work, when I think about the work of educators, right, you realize that so many educators have very similar sets of responsibilities. At the end of the day, their to-do list is similar. If you're in a certain classroom environment, or you're a counselor, or you're a para-ed, or you're a, you know administrator, but the to-be list is what distinguishes you, right? You can do yeah. everything on your to-do list and still not be wonderful at your job. Or in life. <laughs> or in life, indeed, <laughs> yeah, both directions, which is why I like just the premise of being a ruckus maker, right? Like someone who does it differently. Mm-hmm. What is the lens that you look at that through? And, and can, you, can you infuse that to-do list and prioritize that to-do list with at the very top of it? First and foremost, who do I want to be in the doings of this stuff? Right. Yeah. That makes me think of uh, emotional intelligence and uh, developing, you know, your self-awareness and, and understand what's going on, you know, inside you and uh, who you want to be, how that's showing up, how it's landing for, for other people. I think uh, this is probably a good good spot to pause for a message from our sponsors. But when we come back, Houston, I'd love to ask you um, maybe for some practical tips on on that to-be list. Get world-class professional development without leaving your home. Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership helps you establish your legacy and deliver on your vision for your learning community. Since 2018, we're proud to have served nearly 4,000 school leaders from over 110 countries. We would be honored to welcome you to our February or June 2021 cohorts. Apply today at hgse.me forward slash leader. That's hgse.me forward slash leader. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Houston Kraft, the co-founder of Character Strong. We were talking about the difference between to-do and to-be lists. And, uh, you know, I heard you say that there's there's an accountability piece that's done in public and then a, a private piece that you do with uh, Austin, I think was uh, the guy's name. But 
for the ruckus maker listening, maybe this message probably is really resonating, right? Like, wow, you know, this is something I need to put my focus on here. What, what might be like a, a, a practical tip? We understand the idea of accountability, but is there anything else that would help a ruckus maker listening fully engage in that to be list? Yeah, I think a lot of people's struggle with the to be list is that it is, you know, we don't have as much practice setting those items or setting those goals as we do with our traditional to-do list, right? We know how to get from inbox 100 down to 50. We know how to grade a certain set of papers or fill out different sorts of paperwork. Uh, We know how to set up a meeting, put together a slide deck, whatever that thing is in your role, those things are very tangible. They're they're check-offable. And then it's like, okay, well, what does it look like to actually put presence or gratitude or encouragement on my to-be list. And one of the things that I believe deeply, especially when it comes to something like kindness, this abstract, massive concept, is that specificity is going to drive action and meaning. Right? The more specific we get, at the end of the day, I can say whether or not I did this thing. But also when it comes to something like kindness, specificity is almost always going to make the action more impactful. Who am I targeting this towards as opposed to the, you know, the traditional narrative of kindness right now in a lot of schools is the more random acts of kindness, which are, are great. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like oftentimes they're like the high level platitudes that might bring about a smile, but don't always shift culture in a meaningful way. And so uh, one of the structures I use in my brain is like the classic Venn diagram model. And I allow for uh, constraint to amplify creativity when it comes to setting goals around to-be items. For example, let's say my to-be word is kind. I'm going to focus on that for this week, today, this quarter, this month. But what does it look like to actually take kindness and put it into a daily practice? So my constraint might be each day, I think about one person that I want to target it to. Immediately, that makes it more specific. I want to target it towards... Uh, my secretary. I want to target it towards uh, this bus driver. I want to target it towards one of my students. The second constraint I could add on that would be time. I only have five minutes a day. Things are really busy. We're in a virtual learning world or hybrid. I'm juggling so many different things. Can I protect five minutes a day for this practice? Okay, then what does kindness in five minutes look like towards this person? I could even add another layer, right? Depending on how specific I want to get, I could I could say something to the effect of. Uh, what is it that I want this person to feel on the far side of the action? Encouraged, seen, appreciated, hopeful. So that little Venn diagram, if you can picture it in your brain, people, time, feeling, the intersection of all of those is where I think the magic happens with something like this. And to me, the structure of that thinking is probably the most important thing that we can practice and teach the people that we work alongside, or even the students that we serve, is how to think about how we think, which is kindness, when you say, let's be kind, it's such a massive ask. It's just like, it's like putting someone into a room with an unlimited amount of colors and a giant blank canvas who's not done a ton of art before and be like, all right, create a masterpiece. You're like, well, I need some constraints, right? I need to reduce the bigness of this into something more targeted. And so I might say, you know what? I'm going to write this student a note about this project that they did last month and how I'm still thinking about how creative it was. It doesn't have to be a long note. Hey, you remember that thing you did? I thought that was such an expert use of uh, your brain, your specific skills. It might be to the secretary. It might be like picking up the, the phone 
and just saying, you know, like the secretary picks up the phone on the other end and be like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to call you. But while I have you, I just want to let you know you're just doing such an amazing job. And one of the most detailed things that I appreciate about you is the way that you do X, Y, and Z, right? The ability to, to do that in five minutes or less. And, I, and to me, that's such a good reminder personally that time is not directly correlated with impact, that we can build trust over time. And we know that that takes time, but impact, especially with people that you've already developed some level of trust with, impact does not always equal time. So I can spend five hours a day writing emails and then spend five minutes making that phone call or sending that message or writing that postcard. And that five minute action could, as you mentioned before, could be the thing that this organization, this person remembers more about my work than the five hours I spent emailing. Now, are the emails still important? Yes. But let's not confuse time with impact and let's not confuse our to-do list with our to-be lists. And can we prioritize both with equal skill and equal passion? I tend to make a distinction between shallow work that allows you to keep your job and then deep work that uh, makes you a linchpin, you know? And, and like you said, the to-be list is what sets you apart from other leaders. Kindness, I want to highlight for the ruckus maker, that's a huge ask. So the constraints are a beautiful thing. And by considering a person, the amount of time you have, and then that beautiful part, uh, what do you want is the sort of the outcome? What do you want to, them to experience through the kindness, you know, you demonstrate? Uh, that's really a great way of framing it. So thank you for those insights, Houston. I want to ask you about a, a leadership conference that you have coming up near the end of July. You know, I'm sure people listening to the stories that you just shared and some practical tips uh, would be really eager to enroll in some kind of uh, event that you are hosting. So tell us about what, uh, what that's all about and what folks can expect. Yeah, well, we uh, organizationally, you know, we focus on building curriculum pre-K through 12th grade that teaches social emotional learning and character. But we know that curriculum is maybe even less than half the battle because implementation is everything. Uh, and so the other big part of our world is, is training, professional learning, professional development. Um, so we do in-building, in-district professional development. We hold conferences um, for implementation teams. And then our most recent addition is, is uh, a visionary a principal conference for building leaders. And uh, yeah, that it's, it's rooted in you know, talking and unpacking the difference between leadership and management. Lead people. We manage things. Uh, and great leaders need to be able to do both. Uh, and it comes from a model that we've built our organization on. It's sort of the model that shaped my life, which is the servant leadership type of model. Uh, and what we know about building leaders is that this is not always the kind of professional development that they get access to. They get a lot of things on the management side, but the people side, the relationship building side, uh, much like the to-be list side, we need just as much support there. Um, so it's a two-day conference, two hours each day, uh, because we know the limited bandwidth of administrators. And so we try to separate it out, make it bite-sized chunks. Uh, and then we've been doing some cool mastermind groups afterwards, where you get some really solid accountability and supports and conversation and community. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can just check out characterstrong.com uh, to learn more about all of those trainings and conferences. Beautiful. And definitely uh, encourage the Ruckus Maker listening to check that out. We'll, we'll make sure it's linked up in the show notes for you too. Uh, Houston, in terms of a school marquee, if you could put a message around the world on every single school marquee for a year, what would it say? 
I like the premise of uh, questions over statements. And so one of my favorite questions that we call at Character Strong, we call it the question that's not getting asked, which is, what did you do for others today? That, that would be the question I would pose. Students could see as they walk out each day, or even if they walk in each day, we have a school that had this up and they said, you know, sometimes students didn't know how to answer that question when they first started. So it's in the morning, it would be, what will you do for others today? In the evening, what did you do for others today? Beautiful. In Houston, uh, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities? In a lot of ways, I feel like we're building some of that dream school right now as we've been rewriting our entire social emotional learning curriculum to kind of meet the moment, right? That if that, particularly that content uh, needs to be engaging and authentic and relevant and uh, 2020 and 2021 have, have changed what, need, what those conversations need to be about. So we've started from scratch and it's been really a beautiful and humbling process because one of the big steps we took is we've invited students in um, to that process in big ways. So we have a 30 student high school advisory board and a 30 student middle school advisory board. And we're just asking them a lot of questions and they have a lot of really smart answers. We've put together an educator advisory board that brings in people from a lot of different disciplines, whether it's uh, theater education, play therapy, people who uh, have done, you know, uh, Instagram or like YouTube sort of work teaching some of the high level conversations to large groups and people that have done like one-on-one tier three interventions. We have the whole range. So I think it's about bringing a lot of voices to the table first and foremost, which makes the process longer. But to quote Dale Carnegie, people support the things they help build. Uh, So that feels like a key ingredient. The other piece that I'm just such a huge believer in is experiential education I think uh, in my dream school, we continue to escape the narrative that so much of our education system uh, puts young people into, which is that learning is transactional versus experiential. And particularly because my passion is social emotional learning, which doesn't have as many right or wrong answers, uh, I believe deeply in the power of activity-based learning and conversations that come from that. So my dream school would have... uh, ropes courses. If we're not, if we're talking about no restraints, right? We're not worried about liability and insurance and all that stuff. Zero restraints. We need the ropes courses. Uh, we need the ability to put people into uh, team environments, group and small group environments to experience things together, uh, to unpack those conversations together. I bring in a lot of art from incredible artists all over the world, visual arts, music arts. Art is a great teacher. Yeah. And my priorities would focus on, I suppose, in many ways, the outcomes that we're aiming towards in our curriculum, which is belonging, well-being, and engagement. If we, if we can create a sense of psychological safety, if we can teach young people how to help themselves experience well-being, protect their own mental health, and protect that of others, and engage in their learning, academics, in their community, and in making the world a more just, kind, compassionate place. To me, that's a great education. Agreed. Well, Houston, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast of everything we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Uh, As my friend Dexter Davis says, we're not human beings, we're human becomings. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. 
If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.